Hello and welcome to the Wittenberg Door, a weekly broadcast that examines what Lutheran Christians believe about God, the world, and us. I'm Pastor Brett Cornelius of Gethsemane Lutheran Church, and I invite you to join us for the next hour. And later, we will take questions at 740-383-9944, that's 740-383-WWGH, or on Facebook at the Wittenberg Door, where you can submit your questions live. Please join us now on the Wittenberg Door. Everybody and welcome to the Wittenberg Door. This is Pastor Brett Cornelius, and uh, we're glad that you've joined us for this hour. We, um, uh, I'm with, t- with me today is Sean, and and Lee is on the way. On the way. I've All got, right. I've got the text. Okay. And uh, and his wife is driving, so he's not texting and driving. So. But Lee is on the way, and folks, today, uh, we're glad you joined us. We want to remind you that um, the Wittenberg Door is a call-in program, and so if you'd like to make a contribution to the program today, think about, well, you know, some of the things that we're, that we're reading and some of the things that we're discussing, um, and you want to make a comment or have a question, uh, the number is 740-383-9944, that's 383-WWGH. And uh, so we, uh, we hope that you'll uh, engage with us today. It's always more fun, and it's always more interesting if the listening audience is is contributing to the program. That's what a call-in program is all about. That's right. Yeah. And uh, so we invite you to call. You know, no question is going to be, you know, I think people are afraid, you know, especially when they're going to say something in front of, uh, you know, what what's the audience for us, you know? <laughs> Uh, people all over Marion County are listening to this, yep. and uh, and so they think they might say something that's uh, I don't know, dumb or or you know they 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 just are embarrassed maybe to to yeah. be on on a w- program where people are going to listen, yeah. uh, or maybe a comment that they make. Uh, you know, it's there's there's no such thing. No, everything every every question you ask or every comment you make is going to help us be a little bit smarter. That's correct. Right? I ask questions all the time, don't I, Brett? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And, and and when you ask a question, uh, you are probably asking a question that somebody else is thinking to themselves. Yeah. And, uh, and and maybe they're afraid to call. That's right. Right? I'm, I'm, the, I, I, I'm and, the listener for the audience for you. How's that? Yeah, so just, I mean, so just asking the question is, is enough to, to maybe engage other people. So, uh, so give us a call, folks. Three eight three nine nine four four. That you got now. You got to dial seven four zero now. Yeah. How long has that been in effect? Uh, we have dialed the area I code. say. Well, I think when we first, uh, I bet a year and a half probably. Has it been a year and yeah, a half? Yeah, I bet so. Yeah. I know they just did the same thing in Columbus now. Now Columbus has you have to dial yeah. the six one four, and it's been that way in in Toledo for four or five years. Yeah, I, I'm I'm not sure what caused it. Is it because there's a lot more phone lines? It's there? all the phone lines. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. it's uh, the proliferation of cell phones and everybody's got a phone everybody's got another. some you know people have two or three numbers yeah. and that's not uncommon for people to have two or three numbers that's true they got a fax number they got their phone number they got their cell phone number and uh yeah so you know when when you yeah, have like all that you Google gotta have number. gotta have more numbers right <laughs> you have and there's more the people yeah, yeah yeah and you got your google yeah yeah and, and there's more people uh Population's growing all the time, so very good. Well, uh, today, folks, uh, this is the uh, fifth Sunday after Trinity. 
Now, uh, let me explain this uh, lectionary system to everybody once before. If you've heard this before, please be patient. Uh, I'm assuming that there are people tuning in that, that don't know what we do here. And one of the major things that we do with the Wittenberg door is we, we go over the uh, lectionary. Um, that is, a, it's a series of lessons that the church has come up with. These lessons have been in place for 1,200 years 1800 years, um, the Christian church has had a schedule of lessons from the Bible that they, that they listen to. And uh, like the gospel lessons have been in place since the 4th century. The epistle lessons have been in place since the 8th century. So when you listen to these, okay, this hist- what we call the historic lectionary in our church, we call it the historic lectionary. Uh, when you listen to the historic lectionary, you're, listen to, you're listening to the same lessons that Christians have heard for over a millennium. Really? Yeah. Wow, that's a and, long time. Uh, and so you think, what is it that binds us with other Christians? Uh, and this is one of the things, the, the lectionary, that kind of binds us with other Christians because it doesn't matter, make a difference whether you lived in the 11th century or the 14th or the 8th century. You've heard these lessons, and this is what this is what has been presented to you as, as the uh, text of the scripture. Now, in a lectionary system, uh, there is there's actually two kinds of uh, lectionary system. There's uh, what what is called the continual lectionary, and that is where a, a pastor or a church will just start with one book of the Bible, and they'll just start moving through all the books of the Bible. And you have every book of the Bible is covered, and every text of the Bible is covered. Now, uh, the strength of that system is you hear all the parts of Scripture eventually, right? Eventually, you'll hear every part of Scripture preached on. The weakness of that system is that most people are only going to hear those, those uh, like, you know, maybe not even most people will hear them all preached on at least once, you know, and if you do, you'll only hear them once, because the the the, the volume of scripture is so is so big. Um, whereas what the what the historic lectionary does is it picks out the uh, the topics of scripture and the things that scripture tells us about, and um, uh, you know we say that the primary doctrines of scripture and it teaches you those primary doctrines of scripture uh, on a scheduled day each day of the year and the strength of that the weakness of it is that you you don't hear every text of scripture preached from but the strength of it is that you hear some text of the scripture the primary doctrinal text of the scripture you hear them over and over and over again you hear them every year Huh. Right, and um, you know the Latins, the Romans, the ancient Romans had a had a saying. They said that that repetition is the mother of learning. Yep. Right. Yep. And uh, that means that the more you hear something, the more you're familiar with it. And now I think that's in in my life as I've learned things, that's certainly true. You know, hearing them but once is uh, it's, it's a little difficult. And uh, you know, with a lectionary system. The pastor can um, bring in other texts of Scripture, and he can tell you how, you know, maybe the primary text, the primary doctrinal text, um, relates to other parts of Scripture and stories from other parts of Scripture that kind of blend and teach the same thing, or maybe teach a different facet of it. And the, and the pastor always has the freedom to bring those 
to bring those in and 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 to fully explain uh, what a text means. Um, so uh, so that's the one we've chosen. We've we've chosen the historic lectionary, and so every le every Sunday of the year, every Lord's Day has a particular lesson for us to learn, and that's true of the. Uh, Sundays after Trinity. Now, um, you know, we have these uh, major holidays in the in the church calendar. We have Christmas, we have Easter, we have, you know, um, Pentecost, we have Trinity Sunday. At one Sunday of the year, we dedicate to talking about what is the Trinity, because it's so important. People need to understand this. And then uh, you have these after Trinity Sundays are uh, about the kind of about the teachings of Jesus and what Jesus teaches us. Uh, the the uh, Sundays before Trinity are about the life of Jesus and what Jesus did. Now, of course, you always have a little crossover between the two because when Jesus does something, he's teaching something. And when Jesus teaches something, he is the embodiment, his life is the embodiment of what he teaches. So, you know, it's, it's not like this hard and fast, bold line uh, but generally speaking, um, the texts after Trinity are about the about the lessons that Jesus teaches, and uh, and that's true uh, that's true today. And and Lee, glad to have you this morning. Good morning. And uh, so what we're going to do, folks, is uh, we're going to go into the lessons. And before we do, I'm I'm going to uh, introduce uh, what we call the collect of the day. Now, the collect of the day is a prayer, okay? okay. Um, we call it a collect because we take all the lessons that we learn on this particular Sunday, and we draw them all together. We think about what they mean, and we draw them all together, and we form a prayer out of those, out of those lessons. And, and essentially, what a collect does is it takes the lessons that we're learning in Scripture and it prays them back to God. So that what God teaches us or what God exhorts us to do, we pray that we would do those things or we pray that we would learn those things or we pray that we would know those things, right? Right. So uh, here's the collect for the fifth Sunday after Trinity. O God, who has prepared for them that love thee such good things as pass man's understanding, pour into our hearts such love toward thee that we, loving thee above all things, may obtain thy promises which exceed all that can, we can desire. Through Jesus Christ, thy Son, our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee in the Holy Ghost, ever one God, world without end. Amen. Amen. And uh, such a wonderful uh, uh, thought that, that, you know, God uh, promises us these things that pass our understanding. Heaven itself would blow our minds if we really understood what heaven means. You know, we all kind of have these concepts. You know, maybe we've seen a cartoon or something where the, you know, the dog dies and floats up, uh, you know, Warner <laughs> Brothers cartoons, oh, and yeah. floats up into the cloud and he gets a harp, you know, and he's sitting on the cloud playing the harp. How boring would that be after a thousand years, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, that would just be really... No, you know, God is going to blow our minds with this thing. So it, heaven itself, the concept of heaven, the concept of seeing God, it passes our understanding. 
But loving God above all things, we really want to obtain heaven. We really want to obtain the promises of God. And so we're asking God for the faith and the strength to obtain his promises. So, very good. Okay. So you've, I was got a question for you. Yeah, sure. And Lee can jump in if you. Yeah. Now, um, if you, do you think, I mean, nobody really knows, but if in heaven, when you go to heaven, yeah. do you think you're... Your loved ones and your, that have already passed away, are they going to meet you at the gate? Uh, yeah, you know, um, in Genesis, when, some, when one of the patriarchs dies, there's kind of this interesting, uh, for all three patriarchs, there's kind of this interesting um, commentary that's made. And it says, uh, for instance, and Abraham breathed his last, and he was gathered to his people. Right? Right. Uh, the Jewish custom, it was, first it was a Jewish custom, of families being buried together is indicative of the fact that that we will know each other, that we ha- will have this uh, bond together as families. And, um, uh, you know, uh, and, and, and we know that, that uh, also what it means is not only that we're going to have our own families, those that are believers, but that we'll be in the family of God, which will be much more important, the family of the faithful. When we die, for instance, we'll be gathered to the faithful. This is taught in the gospel lesson when, when, uh, when Jesus teaches about Lazarus and the rich man. Mm-hmm. And when Lazarus, the faithful Lazarus, dies, he's gathered to Abram's bosom. Uh, Abram, the father of the faithful. And he's, and he's, with their, he's there being comforted with somebody he knows, right? With somebody he loves. And so it's it's not just going to be, you know, all all the faithful in our family who who've gone before us. And and I I do look forward to seeing my grandmother, my father who died in the faith, you know, and and I and really it'll be a wonderful thing to see my father again. But it'll be a wonderful thing to to be with the the church of all ages and to you know these people that we've we'll, we'll be there with Luther, and and there with Saint Augustine, and there with Abram, and there with Moses, and and uh, and all the faithful. Yeah, interesting. Uh, a fairly good measure of this is that we're told that that human imagination can't dream up something as good yeah. as what God has planned for us. It, it passes our understanding. Uh, yeah, so, um, so... whatever you imagine... <laughs> that's what's going to... And, and we'll be doing it for eternity. So, All right. So we won't be in a rush to do anything. The greeting... We'll have plenty of time to greet our relatives. You know, I often think... Uh, you know, one of the things that Jesus promises us is that, uh, that we're going to see God. We're going to see God. And... Uh, we see him in a state that none of us really are, are able or capable of right now. Um, scriptures say very clearly, no man has seen God at any time. Right? To see God is actually kind of a, in our sinful state, is actually kind of a fearful thing. When Isaiah sees just a vision of, of God, he says, Woe is me, for I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among the people of unclean lips. By the way, this is going to be repeated somewhat in the gospel lesson today. You're going to see kind of a, what this means. But, um, but Isaiah's, Isaiah just says, I'm undone. This is awful. Um, 
but when but when we die and we are you know the kind of that last purge is death and and we are brought in in the full righteousness of Christ to see God you know we 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 see things in our lives of immense beauty right mm-hmm. and sometimes it's people you know uh you see this uh, you see beauty in in others you see beauty in creation for instance uh, somebody sees a rainbow how many times have you been driving down the road or something and maybe it's been a couple years and and you see a rainbow and you stop and you just kind of look at it i always try to find the end of it because they say there's gold yeah 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 (laughs) (laughs) you have a mercenary spirit sean uh and uh uh well or you know you, you take a vacation and you go to the ocean or you go up in the mountains you know and you get on that high mountain and you kind of look out over the valley and the mountain and you see the you know the cliffs in the in the distance and you see the sun going down uh, it's you know there there are, there are visions of immense beauty right right but this beauty that we see in the world in creation especially is really just a kind of a poor broken reflection of God himself God who's the creator of all things God who is the source of all this beauty and glory, right? And so, you know, it's like when we see God, we're going to see the source of all that beauty and glory. And we're going to see, and when we see God, by the way, we see him, uh, you know, when we see a, a sunset, for instance, it's a temporal thing. And it really kind of, you know, you look at the sunset and maybe you say, oh, you're just in awe of it for 10 minutes, right? Right. And then you're done with it. You know, you go to the Grand Canyon, look out, and it's, oh, wow, this is great. I'm glad I came. But you can't stare at the Grand Canyon for the next year because you'll get bored with it. Eventually, whatever beauty we see in the world, because all beauty is broken and all beauty is temporal, it loses its allure. But when we see God who is holy and when we see God who is eternal, the allure and and the beauty of God is eternal, and we never will never that vision of God will never get old for us. It will always have wonder in it. It will always have glory in it. It will always be something that we're not quite able to fully fathom. Uh, and 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 it will be the source of our wonder for eternity. Just that. And then along with all the rest, you know, the, reu- the reunion of loved ones and, 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 and the comfort of the church. Uh, also, uh, work is something that, that uh, now is under a curse. Uh, but God had Adam naming the animals. I mean, basically yeah. that was his job. Tending the garden. And Put them in a garden to tend it. All the satisfaction that comes from work. Uh, we just have a little taste of it now. Yeah. But we know that we're all unique. God created us for a purpose. We won't see that purpose here, but, uh, you know, when, when uh, at the restoration of all things, uh-huh. when we have our bodies back, he'll give us work to do. Yeah. And, and it won't be the kind of work that's under the curse now. And, and because we're in eternity, that, that work that we experience will will not, you know, look, you, you get a new job. You ever had this experience? You get a new job and you really like it at first. 
but then it becomes a curse. Hum. Yeah. <laughs> and it just, you know, you get bored with it. Well, and, and again, here is something that will never get old, right? And never, never lose its allure for us. I, I so even work, even work will be yeah. a pleasure because it will be an aspect of God's blessing. So what I, kind of I job will I, will I get? Only you are going to be at the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> you know, only, only God knows. I, I, I get to pick, a, I get to pick my own job. I, to I, like doubt, a resume I doubt that you get to pick. I doubt that you want to pick. I, doubt, uh, I think you're probably going to, he's going to set you down. He know, already knows. He's yeah. not going to ask you any questions. Yeah. I mean, he knows you. He created you. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, likewise, there, you know, there are things that we, that we see and, and do now that, that uh, are are difficult for us, like learning, for example, and uh, you know some of us we we get thrilled when we learn something new, and that's going to be. I mean, he's created a whole universe, right? He, and he's going to recreate it in, in you know, with no, uh, without the flaws that we brought into it. Um, so it's we're going to have an, etern- an eternity of continual learning from God. Good. It's really it's a it's wonderful heaven heaven uh, you know I kind of look forward to it Sean. Do you? Yeah, it's yeah. anything but sitting on clouds playing harps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah Unless you really want to guess if you know. <laughs> Even music will have a, a oh, certain yeah. eternal quality I'm to sure it. it will. So hey, as long yeah. as I have my laptop up there. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. I'll be good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Okay, uh, so let's uh, dive into the lessons because otherwise we're gonna we got a we got a good one coming up here, a uh, long one, a little longer one. Um, First Kings. Uh, well, why don't you introduce it, Lee? Uh, well, well, this is uh, this is Elijah. He's uh, he's running away from uh, from Jezebel, who is a very wicked queen. Um, she was. She, she had great political power, and uh, uh, and Elijah pretty much feels like he's all alone, and uh, uh, he's you know he's on the run. He's out, out in the desert by himself. He's on the run because she has threatened to kill him. Yeah. You know, uh, she's got a warrant out for his arrest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, and, and why and why why is that warrant out for his arrest? Uh, he uh, pretty much. Uh, embarrassed her and the whole Baal worship culture. He humiliated her God. Yeah. 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 Actually, he stood and said, uh, where is your God? Maybe he's taking a vacation or maybe he's in the bathroom. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, Only and he it, says it in a little more crass way than yeah. that. <laughs> and at the end of it, God God uh, uh, burns up Elijah's... If this is If you've heard of calling down fire, this is it. Uh, Elijah calls down fire on... on Sacrifice, yeah. and uh, you know, whereas the uh, the Baal worshippers tried all day, and uh, and there's no sign of Baal showing up. So, <laughs> uh, and and in the end, the what was it? Four hundred priests of Baal were were um, uh, eliminated. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, now you would think that in the midst of all these people, with all of this conflict going on. How on earth could he be afraid of one woman? Yeah, you know, he's he just called down fire. Yeah, and yet he does. He runs. There's uh-huh. something about human nature that 
hell hath no wrath like a woman scorned. Yeah, uh, this. Is, so he's running, and uh, he's afraid she's gonna uh, kill him. But anyway, so he's out in the desert, and uh, yeah, and and this is this has got him meeting with God now. So this is First Kings nineteen, uh, beginning at verse eleven through twenty-one, English Standard Version as usual. And he said, this is God speaking, and he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go, return your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive you shall anoint Haziel the king to be king over Syria, and Jehu the son of Nimshi you shall appoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha the son of Shaphat of Abel-Meholah you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Haziel shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave seven thousand in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So he departed from there, and found Elisha the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen in front of him, and he was with the twelfth. Elijah passed by him and cast, on, cast his cloak upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people, and they ate. And he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, you know, this is a, a really interesting text, I think, for us today. When we see um, the Christian church in a confused state, uh, for some time now, there has been elements of, uh, especially the mainline denominations, that have uh, that have moved in an unfaithful way from the scriptures. Um, you know, this this text really centers on God speaking. You know, he, um, and there, we go through this. You know, is God in the fire? No, God's not in the fire. Is God speaking in the fire? Is God speaking in the earthquake? No, God's not speaking in the earthquake. You know, God's not speaking in these great and mighty things, but he's speaking through this still small voice. Small, unlikely, 
kind of uh, almost unbelievable that God would speak that way. And you know, God, when God comes to us, he really doesn't, uh, when God reveals himself to somebody, he doesn't do it with an earthquake. He doesn't do it with fire. God reveals himself to us in Christ, in this, in this humble Christ who is crucified and risen again. And through the word of Christ, as we learn it from the apostles, God speaks to us. And uh, in, in, this, in this kind of this still small voice. And one of the problems of the church of the last 150 years is that um, we have become too sophisticated for that. We, and, and this is something that's, true, that's always true of humanity, is we would rather hear God speak to us in the great, in the powerful, in the mighty, right? Um, it's power that impresses sinful human people, not still small voices. And yet God speaks to us through the pages of Scripture. And, you, and if you think about um, how truly uh, humble Scripture looks and how mighty it has been through the centuries, uh, it's quite a contrast. Uh, but So for the last 150 years especially, the church has 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 uh, and, and 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 more so even today the church has forsaken the words of scripture it does not expect god to speak to us in this humble little way and so it you know it it says well you know are we going to believe the breath of peter you know are we going to because essentially that's what it is are we going to believe the breath of john and, and yes, we do. Uh, let me tell you something, folks. If you're in a church that, that has uh, denied the truthfulness and the authority of Scripture, you are very much like these ancient Israelites of whom uh, we learn about in this story of Elijah uh, that have, have really forsaken God and have embraced the idols of reason uh, and have, have treated reason like a bale, have, has treated science. You know, how many, if your pastor says to you that the Genesis account is wrong, I'm going to just say it. This might be a very controversial thing to say, but you need new pastor. Because uh, this is a guy who doesn't respect the still small voice of Scripture, who wants God to speak in the powerful and the mighty and the and and the glorious in the world's eyes, and uh, so you you may be very much and this is a, that's a good question to ask your pastor by the way, but you may very much be in in one of these churches that is is somewhat like uh, ancient Israel has has forsaken God for a bale. In this case, the bale of reason or the bale of science or the bale of human opinion. Uh, there's good news. Uh, God, God's elect, uh, you're not alone. If you believe what the Holy Scriptures say, you believe in Jesus who died and rose again for you, you're not alone. There are other Christians who believe that. Just as God comforts Elijah and he says, uh, you know, that there are 7,000 men who haven't bowed their knee to Baal. There are others out there who still believe the scriptures. 
and you can find them. Um, uh, and, and, and please do find them. Uh, but as, as, you know, Elijah, is, he feels hunted. He feels like he's all alone. He feels like there's nobody who yet believes in, in the one true faith. And God is comforting him, saying, there, no, there are. There's 7,000, these 7,000 men. But he also comforts him in this way. He comforts him and says that who's going to solve all this unfaithfulness in Israel? Who's going to be the source? What, what is going to be the source of, of Israel getting better in a sense? Right? What does he say there, Lee? Yeah, well, he says the anointed one, right? So uh, the solution to all this unfaithfulness is the anointed one to come. Now, uh, there are types of that anointed one to come in the, in the figures that, that are introduced to us in this Old Testament lesson. Uh, you have Elisha. God tells, uh, tells Elijah to uh, uh, anoint Elisha to be prophet over Israel, and uh, Jehu to be king over Israel, and, and, uh, and who is the... Who, Hazael. Hazael to be king over Syria, right? And, and through these anointed ones, God is going to conclude this unfaithfulness of Israel, and, and he's going to call Israel back to faithfulness, right? Through the anointed one. In other words... It's, it's through the Christ, and that's simply all that the anointed one, when you read the anointed one, uh, you read about the anointed that's all that it means. It means that everything is concluded in Christ, and all our unfaithfulness, and, and, and by the way, when we talk about the unfaithful church, in a lot of ways, we have to include ourselves, Right? Uh, because, as Scripture says very clearly, there is no one, no one who has, 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 has seeks for God. Uh, they've all turned aside. They've all gone astray. And that includes not only, you know, people who have forsaken Scripture, but includes every one of us. Every one of us has, in one way or another, gone astray from the words of Scripture, have been have been disobedient in our attitude toward God? And where does this all get solved? Where does our problem of sin get solved? But in the anointed one whom God sends, whom God anoints, there in the River Jordan, at the ministry of John the Baptist. Uh, our Christ, our anointed one, the world's anointed one, is, is commissioned to take on the task of man's sin and man's salvation, which he does by taking up our sins and walking them to the cross and being nailed there for them and dying and rising again so that sin can be forgiven and we can be free and we can have peace with God. And, uh, uh, and, and so really this, this Old Testament lesson is really a lesson about what God will do through the Christ. Amen. Amen. All right. So let's. Uh, we don't. We're going to have to skip the epistle lesson today, Lee. All right. Why do we do this, Sean? I'm blaming you today. <laughs> okay. 
right. You and your questions. Oh, I know, right? <laughs> no, no, that's great. I'm, I, that's a, that was a great question, by the way. And uh, so we're going to move on, and we're going to cover as our last thing, we're going to do the gospel lesson from, uh, uh, where is it, where's our gospel lesson from, This Lee? is uh, Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter uh, 5. Verses okay. 1 through 11. All right. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we have toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let, the net, let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help, and uh, they came and filled both the boats. So they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so they, and so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid, for from now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Okay. Uh, you know, the Old Testament lesson and the Gospel lesson are often really very closely related. And the way we the way we see the relationship between these two lessons this morning is um, first of all in the Old Testament lesson we see the calling of Elisha. Elijah comes by he throws his mantle on Elisha, meaning uh, you are to take up the work that I am doing. And Elisha follows. Uh, he he uh, has a feast first, which is uh, very kind of a sacramental reference uh, to the Lord's Supper. And um, we won't go into that. But he then he follows Elijah, and uh, and uh, ministers to Elijah at first. But he is he's going to take up the work of Elijah. Elisha Elijah was the prophet. Elisha will be the prophet for Israel. Uh, and so we see in the gospel lesson that uh, the you know the, kind of the main point of the gospel lesson is the calling of Peter. Peter, who is is called from, uh, we're going to go back into this, but this condition, who is Peter? He's a sinful man. And yet Jesus calls him, and, uh, and, and Peter will take up the work of Christ. And well, let me go, I'll, I'll, I'll come back to that in a second. Uh, I first want to make this uh, point here. In, early in the lesson, um, what a contrast between the Old Testament and the Gospel lesson, the contrast being that in the Old Testament lesson you have really people who have forsaken the Word of God. They've forsaken the Word of the Prophets there. They've forsaken Moses' law, and they are worshiping other gods, worshiping Baal. In the New Testament, in the Gospel lesson, what we see is people who are hungry to hear the Word of God are so hungry to hear the word of God, in fact, that they're crowding Jesus against the shore so that he has to sit in a boat 
to keep the people at, at some distance. And uh, boy, wouldn't you like to know how that was possible before before we had public announcement systems, you know, PAs and and microphones and you know, uh, uh, when you, if you were a public speaker in ancient times, uh, you had to be able to bellow, right? Because <laughs> you had to you had to make yourself heard. And there there are people who can do that. Uh, at any rate, here's Jesus speaking to the crowd and people hungrily listening to what Jesus has to say. And then we have this we have this story of uh, of uh, uh, you know Jesus. Peter's been out fishing all night. He tells Jesus this. Jesus tells him to, to take out his boats and lower his nets for a catch. And, 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 and Simon, Peter, objects. He says, Lord, we've been out all night. And remember, is, you know, Simon is, uh, is a professional. This is what he does for a living. He knows how fishing works. And, uh, and yet, when, when Jesus says it to him, uh, Jesus the command of Jesus has some authority. And so Peter, who's, a, who's the professional fisherman, acquiesces. He, he, you know, at your word, Lord, he says, I'll, I'll come out. And he drops his net into the, into the sea and draws it up. And there's such a large catch that, that he, has to, he has to beckon his partners in the other boats to come and help him pull this net up. Uh, and, uh, and, and by the way, this scene gets repeated at the end of, uh, after the resurrection of Jesus. And it is, um, you know, kind of this compliment between the gospel lessons that, that this happens twice. At any rate, what does Peter conclude from all this? Now, remember that Peter has been listening to the, to the teaching of Jesus. And there is, uh, there's, a, there's a characteristic about the teaching of Jesus that is picked up in the first chapter of Mark and throughout the Gospels, we see that Jesus teaches with authority, not like the scribes. And so as, as Peter is listening to Jesus, he's hearing a man say things with authority and not just, well, you know, this one is said or that one is said. And, and, uh, and so, so Peter is listening to someone who claims to have authority. And then when he lowers the nets for this catch of fish, he sees for himself the, the, the authority of Jesus. He sees that Jesus is really the master of the ocean, right? The master of the fish and the master of creation. And, and, and Peter recognizes something about Christ right then, that he is, he is in the boat with God himself, right? And that's why he teaches with such authority. And so what is the reaction? Sean, what would you do if you were to meet God? Freeze up. Freeze up? Yeah. Yeah. And that's exactly what, what, what Peter does. He's just like, in fact, what he says is, depart from me, O Lord, for I am a sinful man. In other words, Peter feels himself exposed to God. And don't you just love what Jesus has to say to Peter? Fear not. Do not be afraid. Right? Do not be afraid. And this is the voice. Everything that Jesus has to say to us, and I mean that the real, the real message of, of the Christ, we might say, the real preaching of the church. And remember that when, when, when Jesus is done teaching, 
like Elijah and Elisha, when Peter is done, when Jesus is done teaching, he will entrust his ministry to Peter. And Peter will go out with this, what we now call in the church, we call the apostolic message. Uh, because Peter was an apostle. And Peter will go out and he will preach the same thing that Jesus preaches. And what is it really when you, if you want to, if you want to condense and, and, and you want to clarify everything that God has to say to us as sinful creatures, right? What is it really that God wants to say to us? What is that still small voice that, uh, that we can recognize the voice of God in? That voice that says to us, do not be afraid. That's really what the gospel is all about. That's, what, that's the problem that God solves in the, in the sending of his anointed one. The problem of our sinfulness. The problem of our being unable to stand before a holy God. And, 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 and Christ does this by, by taking on our sin, by being punished for our sin, by dying for our sin, by receiving the punishment that we should have deserved on the cross, by rising again, and by declaring to us that sin is forgiven, that God is not holding your sin against you. You know, one of the, one of the great problems that, that people try to solve is their sinfulness, right? And the way we do it is we deny that we're sinful. But folks, if you're honest with yourself, like Peter was honest in that moment, you cannot deny that you are sinful. But you can't also deny that God has sent you the anointed one, the Savior, who has solved your sin and brought forgiveness and life to you. Don't be afraid to, to confess that you're a sinner. Because Jesus comes for sinners. Jesus comes to rescue sinners. And he's come to rescue you. Now folks, um, we got to close the program for today. If you don't have a, a church, uh, we invite you to worship with us. Our services are at Gethsemane Lutheran Church at 219 East Church Street. Our Saturday afternoons at 4.30, Sunday mornings at 10.30. We invite you to come and be part of it. And we thank you for joining us for this hour. Lee, thanks. Sean, thanks. You're and we invite you to be with us next Friday at 11, 12 a.m. for another edition of the Wittenberg Door. Okay. All right. Don't forget about the Exchange Club coming up at 12.15 or so with Scott Spears, Sean Craft, and Marge Hagelet. Charlie Evers is on vacation this week. So don't, don't tune out. Stay tuned in. Right after these words. This is guava berry juice. Guava berry. Have you ever heard of guava berry? I, I have had a lot of guava berry juice. Non-alcoholic. This, this has got guava 